In this episode, I sit down with guest Angus Ferguson and we talk about what it looks like to scale a business from a garage all the way to a sale to a public listed company. Hope you enjoy. Angus Ferguson. Frank. 32 years old, founder of Real Time Agent, acquired by Domain. Welcome to Chew the Fat. Thanks for having me, Frank. Now this morning you asked me for some breakfast, so I've whipped up my little brekkie surprise. I did. And I want you to have a little bite there, mate. We've got an avocado, a little bacon tomato surprise, and a soft boiled egg. I'm afraid to say I slightly overcooked it, so I apologize. As per normal, you've uh, outshone me in capability of what I could cook, <laughs> even in breakfast, so thank you. It's my deal, my deal closer. Good? It's good. It's good. Favorite meal of the day. All right. Tell me, why brekkie? Why brekkie? Uh, good question. What, what's important to me is I like to start my day with structure. Mm-hmm. I think that, and you would know this as well as I do, when you're running a startup, you're running a business, chaos can happen during the day and things can get out of control. What I can control is my morning and my morning routine that sits around it. So for me, what's that look like? It looks like getting up in the morning, spending time with my son, he's a one-year-old. So we go for a walk, go for a run, 5K run, your son runs 5Ks. No, no, that's after he comes back. <laughs> and then um, into an ice bath and sauna, which you've introduced me to, which I'm hooked on five days a week now. I love that. That's so good. How, how long have you been, apart from the ice bath sauna, how long have you been doing all the rest of the um, morning routines for? Uh, since I, probably since I was about 14 years old. Wow. So what I used to do is um, I went to boarding school, which we'll, we'll get to in a second, but I played a lot of soccer. So mm-hmm. I would get up at 6 a.m., go running around the oval, be kicking the ball against the wall before I'd even get, get in and start, soccer, start school for the day as well. Well, you got me exactly where I want to go to. What is the context? Um, we're going to get into business. We're going to get into all those things, but I'd love to start with what's the context that's made you the person who you are and take me back to your childhood. Yeah, so I think um, what's made me the person I am, I think it's actually changed. Mm. I think you go through different gears in life and different things happen that kind of change the perspective that you have. Where'd I grow up? I grew up in Echuca, which is a small town. It was about 5,000 people at the time, about 15,000 now. Small country town. Everyone knows each other. And for me, I've always had the mentality of anything is possible. And so I had a huge ambition for when I was young. By, by the age of like 12 years old, I thought I was going to be the next David Beckham. I <laughs> definitely had a realisation moment when I was uh, 19 living in the States playing soccer. But um, for me, what it was is I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be a millionaire before mm-hmm. I was the age of 30. Why? Why? Because I came from a pretty modest family, pretty modest upbringing. My dad owns a, a, a furniture business I've had in the family for about 100, close to 100 years now. Um, my mum was a school teacher. And so for me, it was, I looked at some of the perspectives and some of the world that was out there and I wanted to get after it and kind of be a part of that world. And, and let me, I want to drill into it a little bit further. When you think of that success and that drive, like what did it actually mean to you? So I understand from the modest background, but like ingrained in you, why was that important? Uh, I think there's a few things. I think that um, my mum my and dad are very different people. So my dad never finished high school. He is the ultimate salesman. I just used to sit in his office. He'd make me sit in his office when I was about 12 years old and I would have to make him watch his sales calls. And then after the call, he would tell me what he did and what he was trying to do and the objective he was trying to get through. My mum has about four different degrees. So they come from very different backgrounds, very different walks of life. 
I think for me, what I seen was there was an opportunity to kind of take the best of both worlds. Mm. I'm very lucky to come from a, a family that's always pushed me, always told me that anything is possible. I know sometimes now you're not allowed to tell kids that, but I'm still a firm believer of imagine, imagination and creativity is a great thing for when you're growing up. And so for me, I had a pretty wild imagination of where I wanted to get to. I wanted to travel overseas. I wanted to have that feeling of success. And what success looked like for me was security. Mm -hmm. I did look at my dad and my dad is an extremely hard worker, still works really hard to this day. He kind of won't stop even though he needs, even though he can now. And I was like, I don't know if I want to be working like that. I don't know if I want to be working 70 hours a week when I'm 50 years old. I want to kind of figure out that what's that balance? What's the right balance between family, friends, social, and everything else that comes with it as well. Awesome. And I think that one of the things that brings that is perspective, knowing, you know, thrive, thrive, never arrive. You don't want to get into that environment, but also that financially that can help to buy time and get back the balance. That's great. So, so you think those different elements combined is, is ultimately that, that, that the driver and that little fire that started to burn inside you as you went and became that, um, the David Beckham of your time. Yeah, very, very, uh, probably 5% of what Beckham was, but yeah. Are we talking in looks or are we talking in skills? <laughs> probably both. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now, I only say that because David Beckham has to be the most handsome man in the world, and I would say I'm only 3%, so you're doing well. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> you're, do, you're doing well. <laughs> got tickets on myself. <laughs> um, quickly, I would love to know, what was the realisation that you had that you needed to... Um, stop the soccer what was the thing um so i guess for me i would say and you and i've spoken about this a lot is i'm a, a very good student of life mm -hmm. i'm i have a pretty good self-awareness mm -hmm. of you know when something's not going well something i need to do about it also what i'm good at and what i'm not good at mm. what i wasn't good at is i wasn't a good student at school um and so for me, what I realized is that hard work is kind of my secret sauce. Mm. I'll outwork just about anyone. Is, that's my belief. That's kind of my mantra of how I go about it. Sometimes it doesn't work out and you fall flat on your face, but that's okay. You dust yourself up and keep going. But what, um, why, why I talk about that is ultimately where it led me is I worked really hard. I got um, a scholarship to call for grammar, which is one of the best schools in Melbourne. I was very fortunate to have that and have that opportunity through soccer. From there, um, I was at a soccer game one time and a guy came up to me after I'd finished playing and was like, would you like to go to the US? And I'm, I have a mentality of, I try to say yes to everything and often it will find me in places where I've overcommitted myself and then you have to readjust and reassess. But so I took that opportunity and where it landed me was in Mississippi of all places, which took me on a whole nother level of how much um, what hard work is mm. and how hard you can actually push yourself. The reason why I mentioned that is that the coach I had, we were the fittest team in the league mm. and probably not the most technically good. Why? Is because our coach was an ex-Marine drill sergeant. Wow. So if we lost the game, we're up at 4am running suicides. So our day would start at four, you go to your first session, go for two hours. And I remember looking down the line as we're like running up and down the pitch and people would faint. And then they would go and have an ice bath, which at that time was kind of not the thing, but you'd go to cool down because it was about 80% humidity, about 35 degrees. And then those people would come back out and they'd train again. And that was celebrated at the time. It wouldn't happen today, even though it was only like 10, 10 plus years ago. 
it wouldn't happen today, but it was a pretty crazy time. But what it taught me is you'd be doing three to four training sessions a day. You'd then be traveling around all over the US um, and you, you realize what you're actually capable of. Mm. For me, I, I came back and I played a game against Melbourne City. I got to play the first half on Alwissi, the guy got us into the Melbourne, uh, into the um, Alwissi got us into the World Cup, mm. kicked the golden goal who was an amazing player and I was kind of burning out at that stage and I was coming to the realization of, I have a work ethic that can get me pretty far, mm. but I don't have the natural ability that's gonna get me all the way. But I've learned some really good lessons along the way around if I apply myself mm. and I'm completely focused on my goal and my objective or what I wanna do, I can make other things possible. So we lost that game, 10-1, <laughs> which was really bad. <laughs> And after that, I was like, I think this is a sign. I'm going to stop playing soccer. I'm going to put all my time and energy and everything I've learned up until the age of 19 into, um, into something else. And for me, the, that passion was property. Why property? So my mum, she was a school teacher originally. Mm. She got cancer when we were about 14 or 15 years old. She then went back to try and be a teacher mm. and she just couldn't do it anymore. So she went through a process of doing different university degrees and kind of working her way through. And something that she landed on was building design and architecture. Right. So she ended up starting her own architecture business. So what ended up happening is I would often sit with her and do the drawings and kind of work through it. And we just, I just had a passion for like how you could add value to homes. And my grandfather had a construction business as well. So the property was kind of in our DNA. Right, that's, that's very interesting. We've spoken many times, Gus, that's the first time I've heard that. That's really, yeah. really cool. And so, so you've got that passion for property. Like, how does that then translate in that 19-year-old that you that realises you're a hard-working guy? Um, you just need to apply it to the, to the right area to get you where you want to go. Yeah, so from there, um, I started at Century 21 mm -hmm. in Elwood. Two weeks after I started, a guy by the name of Tony Pride used to own Wilson Pride, mm. which Century 21 had bought some years before. He'd started another business called Pride. He bought that business, sat me down and said, I don't think you've got what it takes, but let's give you a month and see what happens. I love that. I'm a 19-year-old kid <laughs> who can't afford to pay my rent. To pay my rent, I was hustling, going, driving through Turak, going through hard rubbish, getting TVs, taking them to cash converters, which was helping to pay my rent at the time when I was a real estate agent who was on commission only. Um, and I think he's seen something in me that the hard work and the desire mm. I had. Mm. Uh, he knew that I didn't have the skills yet, but he kind of took me on the journey with him. And he was, uh, it was a very lucky moment for me where he was coming towards the end of his career. Mm. He was looking to give back and to mentor people. And so f very fortunate enough for me, I lasted the month, which was good because I needed the money. <laughs> and I had to keep selling TVs on the side and we, did, we held concerts in our backyard and got 100 people to come and charge them $50. We were hustling to just try and pay rent because we're all country boys living in the city. Um, fast forward about a year and a half in, I was 21 years old or 22 years old then. And he's like, right, you, you kind of know what you're doing. Mm. I'm going to set you up with your own business with this other guy in Paran mm. and I'll front it for a period of time and give you shares in it. And you just got to learn. Like there's no point stuffing around just being a sales agent. I need to open another office. I trust you guys and I'll mentor you as you go. So for me, I'd sit down at the end of the month with our accountant, they'd talk about EBITDA, they'd talk about costs, and I had no idea. 
what we were doing. All I know is whether we'd made money or not for that month is yep. the ultimate question <laughs> yeah, I'd yeah, ask yeah. our accountant. And some months we wouldn't, uh, and some months we would. The business partner and I at the time, we, we were both pretty young guys. So if we'd make 40 grand in a month, mm. we'd probably take 40 grand out of the business. Yeah. And you're just kind of learning through mistakes mm. and learning, being a student of life and kind of figuring out, okay, this is not a sustainable way to mm. continue to do this. We need to kind of figure out what is the right way, how much capital we actually need in the business as we go. So I was very fortunate at that time um, with, with Tony Pride. I, I actually, my other passion was technology. Mm. I don't know why when I was at school, I think it was one of the only subjects I was relatively okay at. And so I was always curious with technology and things that were happening. So what ended up happening is I kind of got into questioning everything that was inside of that real estate business and why we had to do certain things a certain way and tried to be a bit quirky with marketing and, and try different things. I'm, I'm actually pretty comfortable with failure. Mm. Mm. Um, so I don't mind trying stuff and if it's embarrassing, that's okay. Let's just get up, dust ourselves off, have a moment, continue on. Where do you think that, that um, ability to question, because it's such a good skill, where do you think that ability to question things came from? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm just a naturally curious mm. person. Mm. I think that um, I've been fortunate where... I went, I grew up in a small country town. It's a different flavor of people there. I went to a really privileged school in Melbourne. I then go to Mississippi, which is a whole nother kettle of fish as well. So I, I actually found a lot of people have their own, everyone has their own story, right? Mm. And everyone's got their own background. And if you just sit down with people and ask some questions about mm. themselves, you'll learn something yes. in that conversation. It's just willing, whether you're willing to give it the time or not to actually do so. Mm. So for me, I kind of learnt that from a pretty young age and I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of people who are older than me, mm. who seen that I was trying to make something of myself and a bit of circumstances of time in their life and where they mm. were in their career that they're like, I think we should try and help this guy because he kind of is trying pretty hard but seems to be making a lot of mistakes. We should probably try and help him out. <laughs> That's good. Um, and so, okay, so so... I love that, and I love what I love about that is the um, number one is that as I hear your story, there's there's a couple of things that are jumping out at me. So number one is your your you put a point there around um, a, a learning around life. What do you how did you say it? Student of life. Student of life, much more eloquent. And so the first thing I'm getting from is these different stages and these different steps in life is ultimately these little pieces have nourished you and kind of formulated in that right position to take that next step. So you're questioning these things. What does that then eventuate to? What, what's the next step from there? So we get to a point in the business where I'm, I'm starting to get really curious with process and why on a Saturday we have to call four data houses in order to report an auction result. Mm -hmm. Quite a simple thing, yeah. really frustrating when you've got a number of auctions. Help the audience understand the mechanics of what that means. If there are yeah, sorry. So as a real estate agent, what you have to do on a Saturday is if you want to remain relevant in your marketplace, you need to make sure you're reporting your sale results, mm -hmm. whether it be an auction or private sale or otherwise. So what you would do is the papers have a cutoff on Saturday at 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. You need to get your auction results predominantly in by then. Yeah. When I started asking questions and talking to different people around that process, it turned out that each of the four data houses, which is Domain.com, REA, CoolLogic, and um, the RARB at the time, 
they had like 20, 30 people sitting there waiting for these calls or calling people proactively to actually find out what the auction results were because that then goes as sale price is a pretty valuable piece of content because people want to know what sold or what didn't sell on that Saturday when they read that paper on the Sunday or they're doing it digitally online. So we kind of got into this headspace of like, well, why is this the process? This seems like a pretty big problem. Mm. Why has someone not solved it when it's such a simple thing? Um, and this is kind of before, it makes me feel a little bit old now, but it's kind of before like digitization of digital contracts mm. and all these kind of stuff that was all very, wasn't around at all. So what we, what we figured out is there's a, there's a problem. There's a piece of technology that we could use to replace it. Mm -hmm. The problem I had is, again, coming back to a bit of self-awareness, I was a real estate agent. Mm. I was an okay salesperson mm -hmm. and uh, I knew I was the customer and I wanted to solve a problem for myself, but I didn't know how to do, build technology. Um, and by chance, I was selling a property for who became my business partner. He had a, a construction business that he was working for. We were selling like 40 apartments for them. And I, he, I called him one day to, to give him a lowball offer on a property that was pretty hard to sell. And he was like, uh, said no to the offer. And I was like, hey, um, sorry. I, he, he said no to the offer. And then what ended up happening was he's like, hey, at the end of the conversation, I'm actually leaving. I'm gonna go into technology because uh, he'd had a background in technology and things. I was like, oh, so you know how to code, you know a few different things around this. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I have an idea. Can I come and see you? And he's like, absolutely, definitely. So a year goes by, I actually haven't spoken to him. And I just, it was sitting in the back of my brain. It was eating away at me. And I was like, I've got to do something with this. So I call him out of the blue and he's like, look, your timing's pretty good. I'm thinking about doing something different. We'll catch up and have a coffee in Elwood. Uh, and in that conversation, I laid out some terrible drawings. I'd actually used crayons. I don't know why I had crayons in my house, but they're like <laughs> the screens. I've still got them today. Um, I should send you a photo of it. You'd love it. The, um, but where we got to is at the end of the conversation, he's like, this is a real problem that we should go and solve. If I quit my job tomorrow, will you go 50-50 in the venture with me? I was like, yep, absolutely. So I was still working as a real estate agent at the time. Sure enough, he calls me the next day. He's like, I've quit. I'm going to earn my equity over the next six months by driving Uber and doing some different stuff for us. And I'll build us the MVP. And that's where we started. That is, <clears throat> I've, heard, <clears throat> I've heard it so many times, Gus, but every time it still sends you as dumb as fire, it gets me so excited. The concept that, and we're speaking about um, your business partner, chatting there and then the next day moving, I think the key takeaway and, and something that I, I talk about at nauseam, but I think it's so important for people to realize is pace is everything. Pace Absolutely. is everything and that like that having a conversation and obviously we're not recommending everybody jump off and quit their jobs tomorrow but like the reality is like that got you so far because you had action and then that kind of set the foundation for your business which was like action after action after action. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So you're, you're in now. You're, 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 you're launching that MVP. Run me through what that looked like from, from I guess from those crayons to ultimately getting those first customers. What it looks like is fast forward six months, I've quit my job as well. We got our first customer. And how, how well were you, sorry to interrupt, how well were you doing um, from a, like an earnings, you know, one of the challenges I see with people is the longer they wait, the harder it is to do the leap. So I guess to really um, contextualize it for the audience is like, how much were you earning roughly? Yeah, so I was like probably at that time, what am I now, 23, 24 mm -hmm. at, at that time. 
um, I was probably earning a hundred grand. Yes, so a good, a very good, a very good salary yeah. for a 23, 24 year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and definitely by, uh, in relation to my parents and the income mm. they had, they're mm. like, You're, you, it's gold, yeah. stay where you are, what are you doing? Um, he had security, I would stop selling TVs out of Turak hard rubbish, things were going okay. And, um, but I had the burning desire and I think part of that came back to the fact that my, my dad had his own business mm. that had been handed down through the family as well. And so I kind of seen the freedom that mm. comes with running your own business as well. That's kind of the, the shiny part of it. Then you, then you actually get into all the work that you have to do during the day. Um, but where we kind of got to is we landed one client who turned out to be now a good friend of mine, he owned Buxton Real Estate, about 22 mm. office group. Mm. Um, and we had commitment from a large group of agencies down in Victoria. And he put his hand up and he said, I'll go first, I'll be your first client. And he called me after the meeting and he's like, I know the product is not ready, but promise me one thing, if things go wrong, you'll fix them fast and you'll tell me and you always tell the truth to my agents and to me about where we're at. And we made that promise. So we onboard them, 22 offices in one day. We didn't know how to do a training program. We made it all up the day before. We kind of sat down, built the deck. We had this property in there that we'd load in 16 Collins Street. So in the app, the app was quite simple uh, as a starting point. It was the ability to collect all the bidding information mm -hmm. and then from there get that final sales price. We'd hold it back and then we would set, export it and send it to the data houses to give them a better experience to collect that information and allow the agent to not have to make the phone call. Very yeah. simple products. Uh, most good products and businesses are simple. Um, we're trying to keep that philosophy on things now. But where we got to is we had this property because we didn't have like a test environment or a training mode or anything like that. We used 16 Collins Street. The poor person who owns that property is probably been audited by the ATO a number of times because it actually accidentally got through into the papers a number of times for $40,000, $40 million, the prices all over the place. And it did flow through into, into some of the papers, which was hilarious. Um, Not for 16 Collins Street. <laughs> not for 16, not yeah. for the owner of 16 Collins Street. Yeah, yeah. But we, we had this funny moment where um, we put up on the, we, we had to get a phone number. So we got a phone number, we bought 1300 Bid Tracker, which was the name of the business. And so we said at the end of the, end of the training session of the 22 officers, anyone who needs support, please just give us a call on 1300 Bid Tracker. Jump in the car, I'm driving back to our office, which had mold on the ceiling. We get a headache every three hours, have to go for a walk around the block, come back and sit back again. That was all we could afford. And one of the agents who's in the training session calls through the 1300 number and we don't have support people. So that comes through to me. So I've just left him, I've left about a group of a couple hundred agents and I'm like, bid tracker, Angus speaking. He's like, you're the dude who just trained us. I was like, yeah, yeah, we do everything here for you. What do you need? What how can I help you? And we built really good relationships yeah. with our customers because they seen that we were trying and mm. we, were tr we had intent to try and help to build a better industry for them, to give them a better product and a better experience for their end customer as well. What I resonate with that so much is the, exactly what you're saying is through the, the customer experience that was created by, by doing every step and every permutation in the early stages, you learn everything about your business, you learn all the challenges, you learn from those angry phone conversations that I'm sure you got at time to time yeah. from the customer. Um, and then ultimately that's your foundation to build off something that's really, really special. So I love that. And I think I want to pause for, for a moment is because I see people who are 
nervous about starting the business. You know, they, they, they get nervous because they want everything to look really, really shiny. They put their slide deck together. It's got seven people. It's got the CEO. It's got the CPO. It's got all these big things because they want to give this big perception. But I think what I'm hearing from you is like, you're like, hey, this is the reality. This is the truth. But through the hard work and the determination to do something special, we're going to make it happen for you. And it sounded like that played out well. Yeah, one of the things we, I think we did well was our product always lagged. Technology is generally a, a thankless thing, as you well know. Um, that a customer won't call you up and tell you you're doing a good job, they'll only call when something's not working. That's the reality. That's yeah. kind of the reality of any industry, right? Um, but what we did do well is we, we tried to sell a dream to the customer of where mm. we were headed, mm. what we wanted to do, our aspirations of how we wanted to help them in the longer term. And so they, they bought into that vision, thankfully, and they would stick with it, mm. knowing that we continued to release things. So we always wanted to make sure of a few different things. One, we wanted to be fast, we wanted to be agile, mm. but also one of the most important things that we actually realized was don't raise too much capital too quickly, because mm -hmm. you get too big too quick. As CEOs of the business, we wanted to remain on the cold face and make sure there's no one in between us and the customer. Yes. If we put people in between us and the customer, we're going to lose some of the information, some of that gold, mm. as we're trying to build out this business and understand where the value lies in the next product we're going to build, in some opportunity or feature that we need to build inside of it. So what Dan and I tried to do is keep us on the cold face, keep us working just with customers mm -hmm. for as long as possible. We got to a point where we onboarded about 50% of all Victoria. We've been to like four or 500 offices driving around and our first purchase inside of the, the business was a fee at 500 because we had both sold our cars because um, we, we'd both run out of personal runway. And so you sit in your house and you're like, what else can I sell to keep this business going? Because A, we might have capital in the business, but the business needs that capital to continue to run. Mm. We actually need some personal runway and capital to make sure we can keep the lights on, keep eating food every week. So we went through, we sold our washing machines, we sold our cars, anything that wasn't essential inside of your business, inside of your house, sorry, we, we sold to keep going. What did that feel like? So, so, so obviously when we connect the dots backwards, it all makes perfect sense. But there is that leaping off moment, and I know it intimately, which is like, I don't know what the future looks like, but I'm taking the gamble. Like, take me back there. What was that feeling? Was there a moment where you were selling that last piece of equipment that you're like, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, I think um, you have to, at some point, you have to decide you're going to take that leap of faith mm. or have that thing that's going to pull you in a direction. Mm. For, for me, I think Dan had already jumped in. He was already committed. I was still working in the real estate business, but I'd made a commitment to him that I would join it mm. as soon as he needed me to. For me, is we, when we sat down and we built the business model at the beginning and you build this spreadsheet, you see how you're going to make $100 million of revenue. It's all going to be easy. It's on a spreadsheet. It's looking great. And then you start the work. What we did, though, is we, from day one, decided whose roles are going to be roles and responsibilities inside mm -hmm. of the business. So we're not going to trip over each other. That's and good. making sure that we want to be autonomous, we want to have trust with each other. Let's make sure that if I'm accountable for sales and he's accountable for product, he'll trust me that I'll do the right thing in sales and I'll trust him that we'll do the right thing in product. Perfect. And that, that trigger point was we got our first customer, had to make the leap of faith, that was the time to do it. The, the part that comes after that is you have moments through the journey where you're looking at your friends and you're like, they're earning money, you don't have any money to do anything. You kind of, but you believe in the vision of what you're doing. 
I think one of the special sources that we had is having a co-founder inside of the business mm. because when he was down, I was up, yeah. thankfully, and roles reversed all the time. You'd help each other through those moments and remind each other the value of what you're doing and, and the dream of what you're trying to create for later. There's nothing more powerful than shared mission and purpose with another individual. Absolutely. And the camaraderie that that does. And exactly like you said, like I know that intimately was what I went through with my brothers and other shareholders. You need that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't need that. There's people that have been successful without. I needed that. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I needed that. Yeah. So fast forward, we're starting to get momentum. Things are happening. Things are looking good. What was the pivot moment for you when you decided, hey, it's time to potentially get an acquisition going here? So for us, we fast forward, we're three and a half years in. Mm -hmm. We have moved office every year, yep. moved out of the thing that had the mold on the, on the ceiling to an office of four people, to uh, an office of 15 people, to a townhouse where we had the boardroom set up in the kitchen mm -hmm. and we had about 25 people in there. And we knew we were on something, we had traction, but we knew we were limited. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I touched on before is about making sure you don't raise too much capital too fast. Yes. So we would often raise in blocks of 250K to 500 grand, mm -hmm. which is not a lot. It gives you mm -hmm. a runway of about six, six to eight months yeah. for what we were doing, which was pretty lean. Yeah, because right? then you're running the roadshow constantly, the, and, the, the raising capital. Yeah, roadshow. and for us, a big part of that was there's a huge responsibility that comes with taking money off people. Mm. We wanted to make sure that we're not going to overcommit and try and sell a dream that we're not at that validation point where we need two and a half million dollars to go hard and do a series A and go national. We wanted to make sure that we incubated and got it right, stayed close to that customer before we hit go and built the rocket ship and hit, hit launch. And that's where we got to. So we, we got to about 10% of the Australian market, roughly, doing transactions through our products. We had three products at the time, which was Bid Tracker, where we started, mm -hmm. foundation of it. We had digital agreements, which is the ability for an agent to sign a digital contract in the living room with the vendor at the mm -hmm. time when they list the property yep. and digital contracts of sales when they sell that property, be able to sign it digitally. So we knew we'd, we'd built the platform, we were confident enough. Mm -hmm. For us, we weren't looking to be acquired. We are actually looking for a Series A and a strategic investor to be able to help us to A, we only know what we know, so let's get some smarter people around us to learn from and understand how we can kind of tap into how we run a national sales team, how we run product at a, on a national level, how we think about culture and bringing, making sure we've got all the right components that's inside of our business. And we were committed to that journey at that time. We were probably doing about uh, seven or 800,000 in, in revenue a mm -hmm. year, so still a pretty hefty cash burn. Yep. Um, and Jason actually, the CEO of Domain, he gave, gave us a call because he'd spoken to a customer mm. and he was the customer was like, you guys should go and chat to these guys, doing some great things over here, which was very nice. Very nice. And um, he said, we'd like to have a look at investing. And the advice that we got, because we were fortunate to have some pretty smart people around us was, be careful who you take money from. Mm. Uh, you've got to make sure, because it will cap your exit price depending on who you put on your share register. So what we decided to do is, it made sense for Domain because they were looking for a tool that could help them to build a, a platform business, mm -hmm. which we were fortunate to be kind of the right strategic partner for that. And out of, out of that partnership with them, we got national distribution. Mm -hmm. We got insights into people like Jason, who's run a business of now a thousand people mm -hmm. and learned, okay, how do we continue to grow this business? 
but we made the decision that we would sell that business at that time, mm. um, which we were pretty happy with the, with that decision at the time, but we'd stay on. Yeah. I mean, an earn out that we had to run through for a couple of years and we were both still hungry to continue to run that business. And how many years has it been now since the acquisition? 2019 is November yep. when we sold the business. Um, so four years. Four years. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I reflect on, Gus, about you is, <clears throat> and we've talked about the journey, right? So we've talked about you starting um, in you know, the pretty much garage, uh, the Moldy the office, uh, the ability to, to scale the business, take it through to acquisition, and now being part of a much larger public listed company. The part that I reflect on you, Gus, is you have had an incredible ability to adapt to your environment. And I, have, I pay huge respects to you going from, you know, I know what it takes to be in the beginning and, and it's very different to what it's like in the corporate world. It's very, yeah. very different. But you've managed to navigate that. You've, you've stepped up the chain. You've had more and more responsibilities. And so my question to you is as follows. For the audience, what did that change look like? What did it look like from going running your own show to ultimately being part of a bigger, larger organization? Man, it's, it's hard. It was very hard. So you, you know this well. You go from running your own business um, if we want to change the whole direction of that business tomorrow, we can. Uh, our product and development people, they hated us because we <laughs> did it a lot. Um, but they also bought into the energy of it and they ended up putting a, a sign on their door in the dev room that said no sales representatives are allowed to come in because <laughs> they basically kicked us out of the room. But um, the transition kind of looked like this. My approach to everything mm. is around work ethic, energy, bring people on a journey, make sure they're buying into what you're doing mm. and create a vision for them that they're, they're proud to be a part of and they're energetic when they come to work every day. And that was kind of the philosophy of what we built in RTA. You step into a world, and we we're very fortunate that our cultures are very similar, which mm. was one of the things that Jason looked at before he acquired our business is he said that often um, when you acquire a business, if the cultures aren't somewhat aligned, it will fail. And, and I, I, I see that now. Mm. I probably didn't understand and put as much value on it as him at the time so we step in we fast forward and we start um, integrating the business about a year year and a bit into the acquisition and I was fortunate enough to step up and start running the business called agent solutions so stepping up from kind of running 800,000 of revenue to close to 20 mil um, with a much bigger team size national footprint different dynamics each product very very different to each other and my approach was do what I did before, which is rock up, what energy, work your ass off and build a really good culture of people that are kick ass and that want to come to work every day and that will extend into the customer and the customer will see that. What I realised is that you can't actually do that. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you, you need to create more rigour around mm. the way in which you operate to make sure that you have headspace, mm. to make sure that you're actually spending your time on the things that do matter. Mm. Uh, and to make sure that you're actually helping to coach the people around you mm. as opposed to um, taking on the problem or the monkey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the monkey. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If you were to start a business today and now knowing those lessons and all those different steps, what would you do differently? And not, not saying what would you do differently in your journey in the business, I'm sure you wouldn't change a thing, but you're starting one tomorrow. What are you doing differently now that you know all these different steps? Good question. Um, I would say, just to buck the trend on that a little bit, naivety is sometimes bliss. Sometimes it's good not to know too many different things because you can often get in your own head and you can actually 
probably talk yourself out of it because you know too much about a particular topic. Mm. The things that I would, I would do to set up a business today is understand your market, mm. understand your customer, understand the opportunity size that you're going into, mm -hmm. and really understand how big is this problem mm. that goes into it. From there, it's really, from day one, I'd make sure that I have some strong values that I'm aligning people to. Why is that important? So it's changed, it's actually changed a bit since we started the business. Like culture was how we showed up mm -hmm. and how we interviewed and how we kind of sold people on the, come on this journey with us. Mm. This is super exciting. We've got beanbags and hammocks and other things and it's really cool as well. And we kick ass and we, we do some cool stuff together. Now people are looking for a little bit more purpose inside of it. Mm. They want to make sure that the values align to their personal values. And that kind of wasn't a thing, mm. I, I think, when we started. It was, I think we unintentionally did it a lot. Mm. But you need to actually help to market that to get the right people into the business as well. And what do you think the difference is if you do that right? The difference is that you get people that want to stay for the long term. You get people who are more aligned and clearly understand what you stand for mm -hmm. as a business and whether they're aligned to it as well. We, we ran into it where we never documented anything like that. Um, culture, we, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, as they say. Um, we, we never documented any of that. We just tried to live, live through and lead by example with our people. And we were fortunate that people came on that journey and they bought into it. But the interesting thing that we found is that the people who didn't, we would often have some of the team come to us and say, this person's not an RTA person. Mm. You need to move them on. So if we didn't, if we weren't actively watching that, our team would come to us and tell us and make us accountable to get rid of that because it was going to hurt the culture for the longer term as well. That's good. And so, so we've got culture, we've got a, a mixture of naivety is being blessed, but knowing enough to get in, what else would you be doing differently? What else would I be doing differently? Um, look, if I, was, if I was to go again now uh, in a different business, mm -hmm. I'd make sure it's scalable. And what I mean by that is make sure it's a product that if tomorrow yes. you, 100 customers came to you and wanted to onboard, mm. it's possible. Yes. And that doesn't require too much human interaction. And why is that important? I think the game in technology has changed. Like the analogy gets used a lot, but it's a good one, like uberfication of everything, right? Mm -hmm. like what I mean by that is Everyone expects, in terms of consumer, which mm. flows into everything to do with business, mm. is everything should be real-time now yeah. and frictionless. Yeah. That's just the expectation. So if you, don't, if you don't live up to that, people drop you very quickly. Mm. You've got to have a very unified experience of how you can onboard a customer, how you interact with the customer, and how you actually be able to scale that business up as well. So does that mean you're spending more time prior to launching on this next, on this next hypothetical venture? I don't think so. Mm. Um, but more because the reality is, as you know, the speed at which you iterate is the, the secret sauce. Yes. If you sit around and you kind of um, over-engineer it, mm. you've got to decide what are the founding principles, what are some of the things you need to do. Like, it needs to be a clean experience. It needs to be on par with real-time information, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, Whatever you go in with, the perception of what you think it will be, if mm. you fast forward two years, it will, I guarantee you it will be a completely different business. I haven't met any founder yet who said what we were when we first started is still true today. They always pivot and they always find that larger opportunity 
or it's a completely different product than it ends up being. Uh, Reid Hoffman's got a quote where he, he says, he's the founder of um, LinkedIn, if you're not embarrassed when you launch your MVP, you've launched too late. <laughs> That's very, very good. That is very, very good. So Gus, um, as we start to, to wind up, I've got a couple of last questions for you. So as you reflect on you know, your time in business and your time in life, like, what are you most proud of? Most proud of? Um, I would say a moment for me in time was there's a Simon Sinek um, talk he gives on infinite versus finite thinking. Mm. Finite thinking, you and I have talked about it before, is like you're running at a goal, it's a goal that you can achieve and it's kind of you're constantly running until you get there mm-hmm. and then you create another goal. Infinite is more, you, you kind of never get there, mm. but you're on that, on that journey. I think that when I reflect back on our time with Real Time Agent, we had a lot of finite thinking. It worked for us, mm. but the shift for me was more going into an infinite mindset, mm. which is let's enjoy the journey more so and not that we didn't enjoy the journey but it's just being a bit more of a balance mm. for me what am i proud of is that the the self-awareness of i've had over the years from that mm. um, i think i'm still relatively young at 32 to be able to actually understand more around holistically what kind of person do i want to be not mm-hmm. just in business but in life what kind of husband do i want to be what kind of dad do mm. i want to be you know do i want to be running marathons do i want to be doing other things outside of outside of um, work that make me really happy and make me feel a lot more wholesome. And what, what, where did that shift come from? Was it specifically just that simultaneous conversation or was there something that happened in life that, that pushed you there? Yeah, I think when the day we sold the business, yeah. and again, you and I have spoken about this before and had a laugh at it, was we, um, it was Dan and I in our office at 2 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, our vision for what it was going to be is like this moment where you're sitting in this big boardroom you know, you're looking out over some beautiful landscape, whatever it might be, and it just wasn't that. And we're like, this is not what we thought. Like, we thought there'd be, like, people celebrating and having all this. It was a really nice moment for us to just sit back and be like, wow, okay, this is, we've, we've done it. We actually, what we set out to do, the dream and the vision that we had, we've got there from a personal perspective. Um, but what, what it realised is that the next day, you've got to have a passion and desire for mm. something else again. Mm. You want to stay hungry and you want to get on to the next thing that you want to be driving yourself for. That doesn't necessarily need to be business. It needs to be a variety of different things that make you happy in life. That's perfect. And, and what, what, what is that today for you? It's spending time with, with my son, with, with Claire. Claire's been a, a huge um, inspiration, a huge kind of support basis for me. Uh, same as you with your family, like that, they've been there since the beginning. Being able to enjoy time with them is really important to me. Also to continue to kick ass, but one of the things I love about Domain and the role I'm in at the moment is I'm learning how to run a business at a much bigger scale. Mm. I've got teams across three different countries, um, teams in just about every state in Australia, and I'm working through how do I not just attack it with energy? I attack it with rigor, with prudence mm. and show up every day so that I can add value into the conversations and be in, in situations where I should be adding value and where I don't need to be, helping to coach people around me that they can actually grow and, and develop themselves as well. Perfect. 
My last one for you is, I had a chat with Susan Wilden, the CEO of Airbnb Australia last week. And she had this concept with, with regards to coaching around her, her individuals in, in her business, which was, you know, what's the job that gets you started? What's the middle job? And, and what's the job that when you're sitting on your porch, whatever age it might be, sipping a cup of tea and you look back and you go, I'm so proud and I'm so thankful that I was able to do that in my life. My question is, have you had your porch job yet? Or do you think that's around the corner? No, I think that I definitely haven't had my porch job yet. Um, I am continuing to learn. Mm. I do that every day, student of life. I want to make sure that whatever environment I'm in, I always feel slightly uncomfortable because that's when I know I'm learning. That's when I know I'm thriving and getting better every day. So I continue to say yes to too many things and I'll continue to do that. Uh, contrary to sometimes when my wife tells me I've overcommitted myself. Um, but I definitely haven't had that moment for me. I, I, but I, if you made me sit on a porch tomorrow, I think I'd be a happy man as well. <laughs> Good man. Gus, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Franco.